0: Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear children of the Heavenly Father, Many, if not most of you, have had the experience. A friend or coworker, or maybe even just someone you see often on the street or on the train or bump into on the Internet, has an obsession with a certain topic. The first time or two he or she talks your ear off about it, you, you don't think about it that much. But eventually you realize that every conversation will end up on that topic if you don't watch out. And so you start being extra careful when you talk to avoid triggering the tirade or d- data dump. He or she's always ready to give you at length, in detail, free of charge. Imagine though, Being the person who deeply cares about a matter, but can't seem to get anybody to listen. So you find yourself making the most of even the slightest opportunity to talk about it in the hope that someday, at some point, someone will pay attention and and, and what you have to share on that topic will actually finally make a difference. Suppose you're the old-timer in your office at Amalgamated Widgets. You're the last remaining holdover from Johnson Widgets before Amalgamated bought them out. Almost as soon as the new guys took over, they decided to streamline the manufacturing process because they assumed they knew better. But you tried to tell them that one of the procedures they were leaving out was important, and the change would come back to haunt them. They didn't listen. So you become known around work as the person who's always going on about how the old way was better every time the process comes up, but still no one pays attention. And then one day, everything you warned about happens, and all at once. Three months' production of widgets are discovered to be faulty, All amalgamated biggest clients are threatening to find another supplier and some of the factory equipment is broken down, requiring expensive repairs. The boss calls a meeting, lays out how bad things are, and then asks you, so what do we need to do to fix this and make sure it doesn't happen again? That feeling of vindication and the excitement at finally getting to do what you've long prepared to do, to say what needs saying to the people who need to hear it. What you would experience in that moment is pretty close to what the Apostle Peter would have felt just before he spoke the words of our first lesson, Acts 4, 8-12. to the authorities had Peter and John hauled before them and indignantly, insistently demanded answers to their questions. And Peter said, Okay. You can almost see a smile on his face as he gets started. Sure, let's. Let's talk about Jesus. But we need to back up a bit to appreciate this. For Peter... It started near the Jordan River about four years earlier. He and his brother Andrew had been disciples of John the Baptist, and one day Jesus walked by and John said, Look, the Lamb of God! Andrew brought Peter to meet Jesus, and both of them became his disciples because they saw him correctly as the long-awaited Messiah promised by God to Israel. And they followed him for the next three and a half years, all around Galilee and Judea, even through Samaria and on the other side of the Jordan River. He taught them and they tried to learn. He did miracles and they were astonished. He answered everyone's questions, even those of his enemies. And they were even more amazed. He sent them out and they returned rejoicing at what they had been able to do in his name. But then things got exciting in a less than happy way. His enemies got more active and more determined. But Jesus kept on without slowing down or changing up. And when they all came to Jerusalem for the Passover, he kept saying things that they didn't understand about what awaited him there. Arrest, death, rising, but they had trouble taking it seriously because it just did not fit with their idea of what the Messiah should be. They should have taken it seriously because it all happened just as he said. After a strangely solemn Passover meal, they went with Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, but in the darkness there, He was arrested by a mob from the priests and elders, led there by Judas, their traitorous fellow disciple. The Messiah was brought before the leaders of his people, the elders, the the council called the Sanhedrin, but they were uninterested in truth or innocence. They only wanted to put him to death. And once they found their excuse, they sent him to the Roman governor because only Pilate could order Jesus killed took some doing, but the priests and elders finally got Pilate to go along, and he ordered Christ's crucifixion, though first he had him flogged. By late morning, Peter's teacher was hanging on a cross, nailed hands and feet, bleeding, suffering, thirsting, aching, dying, mocked, scorned, forsaken, forlorn and Peter was hiding in fear and shame by late afternoon Jesus was dead and before evening fell his lifeless body was wrapped in linen and laid in a rich man's tomb everyone thought that was the end they hadn't listened to what Jesus had told them over and over they should have because early Sunday morning that tomb was emptied. Jesus came to life again and left it, and and later angels came to roll the stone away and show the world. But the guards who saw it went to the chief priests and elders and were told to keep it quiet and tell a lie instead. But that night, as we just heard from Luke, Jesus appeared to all his disciples and appeared to them more times until 40 days later he ascended and returned to his throne in heaven, but not before repeating his promise to send them the Holy Spirit, who came to the apostles on Pentecost another Sunday morning, and his gifts to them included not only remembering everything Jesus taught them, but finally understanding it as well. And boldness, too. That day, Peter preached fearlessly to the crowd, and about 3,000 souls were added to the number of Christ's people, the church. All of these things Peter and John had seen and heard and been part of. They were witnesses to it all, and they did not hesitate to testify about it to whomever they could which is how we found them with with last week's text and sermon, a few weeks or months past Pentecost, entering the temple where a beggar, lame since birth, asked them for money. That they had none to spare, but what they had, they gave. In the name of Jesus, they healed him. And the man who had never walked suddenly jumped and leaped, which caused no end of amazement and astonishment among the crowds who had grown used to seeing him beg. And Peter seized on that opportunity to preach again. Just as he had healed the man in the name of Jesus, he also called the people to repent of their sins against Jesus, to trust Jesus as their Redeemer, and to have their sins forgiven for Jesus' sake. And thousands more listened believed, and were saved. And none of this made the men who arranged Christ's crucifixion happy. Luke tells us that they were very upset because Peter and John were teaching the people and proclaiming the resurrection from the dead in connection with Jesus. So while the two apostles were still speaking, they were arrested it was already late, so they spent the night in jail. And the next day, the rulers, the elders, and the experts in the law assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the rest of the high priest's family. You, you know who that was? That grouping? The Sanhedrin. The same group of men who had wrongly accused and convicted Jesus and engineered his execution. So you can imagine their anger and frustration. Here they thought that they had put an end to this Nazarene nonsense by killing Jesus. And now his disciples, undeterred, were preaching his doctrine, doing his works, and even gaining converts something had gone terribly wrong and they were going to get answers so that they could nip this new spiritual rebellion in the bud and so they had peter and john brought in before them and they began to question them by what power or by what name did you do this by what power by what name thanks for asking By an amazing coincidence, that is exactly what we wanted to talk to you about. So sure, let's talk about Jesus. And that's exactly what Peter did. He spoke well and he spoke boldly. We might even say he spoke cleverly. Not because he was an accomplished lawyer, he was actually a fisherman, because he was filled again with the Holy Spirit as he had been on Pentecost. I can imagine John, as he listened to his fellow disciples speak, remembering a promise Jesus had made to them. When they bring you before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourself or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you should say. Now Peter knows full well where he is and how powerful the Sanhedrin is. He addresses them with respect, rulers of the people and elders of Israel. But he offers no flattery and does not ignore their guilt. He knows God has not put him there to score points against their enemies or to make nice with them. He is there to testify about Jesus. And he begins by pointing out the irony, just plain stupidity or or meanness of arresting and interrogating them for an act of mercy, as though healing a man born lame is some kind of crime to be punished. But immediately, Peter goes right to the heart of the matter and says, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel, With this introduction, he made clear that that they would not be keeping quiet about any of this, that they knew exactly what the Sanhedrin was responsible for, and that this message was going to leave the room because it concerned everyone. And in answering the council's question, he repeats a point that he made with the crowd in the temple, that it was by the name of Jesus that this healing was done. But he certainly gives the council more than they desired with his answer because he goes further. Peter calls him the Nazarene, being very specific so there's, there's no question. He is talking about the man they had crucified. But he also calls him Jesus Christ. This had to have raised vivid memories for his audience because Jesus as the Messiah... was the very claim that had pushed them over the edge at his trial. Mark records it this way. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, Jesus said, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his robes and said, Why do we need any more witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as being worthy of death. And here, now, Peter was telling them that Jesus was indeed what he claimed to be. And more, you did everything you could to deny what was right in front of you all the time, that Jesus was the promised Christ, but nothing you did could change the fact of who he was. And we are going to hold it before you and everyone. then then he reminds them of what they did. As much as they might have intended to shift the blame for Jesus' death onto the Romans, Peter holds them to account, rightly. They had more responsibility for Christ's crucifixion than anyone else. Jesus, whom you crucified, thinking you'd ended the trouble he represented for you, Jesus whom god raised from the dead oops that death on the cross was not the end of jesus and in fact you have even more trouble now than before you should be afraid you rulers because it was the lord himself who determined to undo what you had done you should Be nervous, because this resurrection isn't news to you. The guards told you everything that happened at that tomb. And you should recognize, you elders, that the same divine power Jesus exercised when he healed people is what healed this man before you. It wasn't us. It was him. Peter then brings it all home by alluding to a verse from Psalm 118, something they would have recognized immediately, and by saying that Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. He is telling the chief priests and leaders of the people that this formerly lame man's healing is evidence that they have fulfilled a prophecy, but not in a way that is good for them. They rejected the stone that God provided to build his kingdom, Jesus. But God overruled their unbelief and their petty jealousies and made that stone the most important stone of the whole structure. And then just so no one gets confused or or thinks that the apostles are preaching Jesus as just another way to God, in addition to the traditions of the Jews, which which, uh, trusted in, in works rather than the grace of God, Peter makes one of the strongest assertions he could. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. So Jesus is the only way. You'll find eternal life in no other way. As much as you rulers and elders might hate the name of Jesus, it is the only one that saves. Now this wasn't just Peter's message, even though he's the only one we hear speaking that day. John was right there with him in that court and with that message. His first letter written probably more than 40 years later, read earlier, gives the same truth and makes the same appeal for repentance and faith. We testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My children, I write these things to you so that you will not sin. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, But also for the whole world. So what was vital for the people of Jerusalem, even the enemies of Christ, vital to hear from the John and Peter as witnesses, remains vital for you and me and all the world to hear still today. We are sinners. Destined for death and darkness on our own, as guilty of offenses against God, as as damning as, as the chief and elders, chief priests and elders. But we have a Savior, Jesus, who took our place so that His suffering and death might count for us, so that our sins might be forgiven and His perfection might become ours. So repent. Believe what the witnesses tell you and call on the name of Jesus to be saved. Follow Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. And then, just as that lame man was healed by the name of Jesus, and just as the apostles who had been saved by trusting in the name of Jesus were, were eager to testify about him and share the good news of salvation in his name with all kinds of sinners, be A witness yourself. It's not a burden or an obligation. It's what we are and what we desire. Like Peter and John, when given the opening, we say, sure, let's talk about Jesus. Unless, of course, we listen to the wrong voices. You know, the ones that tell us to keep quiet about Jesus. Maybe it's the voice of timidity. Uh, I don't have anything to say that anyone would listen to. Or a voice of ego protection. I'm afraid of being mocked or taken less seriously if I talk about Jesus. Or a voice of fear. Bad things might happen to me if I tell others about sin and salvation in Christ's name. Or a voice of misguided empathy. You know, people get uncomfortable when you talk about religion, and faith is a really private thing. I'll just keep what I know to myself. Or maybe even just a voice of laziness. You know, life is just plain easier for me if I keep my mouth shut about my faith. Oftentimes, these voices convince us to be quiet about Christ even among other Christians. But they are the wrong voices. Listen to the Holy Spirit instead, who will give you words to say and the boldness you need to say them. Consider what the Spirit can do, even with a guy with a record of foot-in-mouth disease like Peter, and be encouraged. The job of a witness is easy. Tell what you know. Peter and John had seen these things with their own eyes, but we know them just as well, not only from the Scriptures, but also from our weekly recitation of the creeds. You know the story of Jesus and what he did and why and for whom. Sure, some people we witness to will be antagonistic, as the Sanhedrin were, but others will not be. Some are already eager to hear. Some are unaware of their need for the gospel until you tell them about their Savior. You can be smart about the when and the where of witnessing, but you never have to be timid or afraid because you know Jesus Christ the Nazarene and you have the Holy Spirit He promised, which means that you have the words to say, words of eternal life you have the assurance that god's got your back no matter what peter and john's example shows us all this how does their story end acts 4 goes on tells us that the members of the sanhedrin were astonished when they realized that these were men who had been with jesus and since they saw the man who had been lame standing there healed before them they realized they couldn't just Deny it happened. So, what did they do? They called Peter and John in before them and they said, Do not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Decide for yourself, decide whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. After they had threatened them further, they let them go. They found no way to punish them because all of the people were praising God for what had happened. Praise God. We too cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard, that there is salvation in no one other than Jesus, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Tune up your testimony, practice your presentation, and pray for opportunities and openings with friends and family, colleagues and classmates. The truth about Jesus is the best news in the world, and every sinner needs to hear it. So we speak. Sure, let's talk about Jesus. Amen. Please rise. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his own blood and made us a kingdom and priests to God his Father, to him be the glory and the power forever. Amen.